Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we dig in deep to analyze the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. I'm Andy Nelson from The Next Reel. We are uh, looking at John Favreau's 2008 film Iron Man, and closing out the week with me is uh, one last time returning Alex Thompson from the Independence Day Minute. Welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me back one more time. One more chance to chat about Tony and, uh, well, really, Pepper and Obadiah. Yeah. <laughs> it's the Pepper and Obi show here. Tony's, Tony's really? ancillary. Right. right now. Uh, we are looking at Iron Man Minute 95. On today's show, the minute starts with Pepper excusing herself from her chat with Obadiah, and it ends with Obadiah glaring menacingly at Pepper as she walks away with Agent Coulson, telling him she's going to give him the meeting of his life. Mm. Oh, my. I, I'm excited to talk a little bit more about Agent Coulson and this whole meeting. Uh, but before we do, uh, we have to uh, continue uh, closing out this bit of this scene with Pepper and Obadiah. This is a, a nice little close. We get her covertly pulling the uh, lock chip out of the computer using the uh, copy of the Financial Times that she's conveniently used to kind of uh, cover it up. I was really trying to figure out what issue this was if this was an actual uh, issue of the financial times newspaper based on the headline that we see south korea to revamp rules on overseas investment i tried googling that headline i got nothing yeah i did too and and the unfortunately the author's name is just out of focus enough where i never could mm-hmm. quite pinpoint exactly who it is it looks like ann something yeah it, the only thing i could tell is that the copy in the newspaper is um it does appear to be related at least to korea right it's not just like the latin ipsum it's not just yeah lauren sort of ipsum stuff. or yeah. or as we noted in one um newspaper at the beginning of cleveland and six for an article that was supposedly about the woman who now owns the indians it was actually articles about the Cavs knicks game the night before <laughs> oh whoops yeah multiple articles though Different, different articles about the Cavs-Knicks game the night before. One of them was about Larry Nance. One of them was about Ron Harper. Oh, that's so, funny. In that case, someone just grabbed the newspaper and just photoshopped out one headline for another. Right. Just put a different headline in. Yeah. Well, it makes me wonder, because obviously it's much easier these days to, uh, to, I mean, you can pretty much construct an entire newspaper very easily. But this this film has very much been grounding us in real world publications. You know, um, we I mean, even Christine, who in the comics works for the Daily Bugle, um, does not in this film. She's Vanity Fair. And so mm-hmm. it's very much working to kind of create this very real sense of this world. This is not this this fictional Marvel universe, you know, on, on Earth 616. This is yeah. very much a, a film universe that feels very much like our own world. And so yeah. seeing the Financial Times here, uh, I mean, it just it feels very authentic to have this as something that would pop up in Tony's office. Yeah. And that's actually it's something that is kind of one of my few complaints about the MCU as it's progressed. They made such an effort here in the first one to really make this feel like it's part of the real world. But it is sort of the inevitability as you've got these people with fantastic powers and abilities and technologies that it's going to diverge farther and farther from our world. You know, you think about where the MCU is now, 19, 20 years later, and, you know, James Rhodes can basically walk despite being paralyzed because yeah, future right. technology is super fantastic. 
you know, or because the technology is so fantastic. Tony Stark is healing himself with nanobots, you know. It is a divergence that we're starting to get as you just go farther and farther into the comic universe. And as you start to sort of realistically extrapolate that stuff, you start to go, well, people's lives should be a lot better with all this technology out there. But at this point in time, it's still, you know, we're still pretty grounded. We still don't know the full scope of what this universe has in it. Right, right. And that's an, that's actually a really interesting point. Um, and I, I suppose you could look at it like, okay, part of that is up until 2008, it's a pretty, or <laughs> retroactively since they've named this movie coming out in, or the taking place in 2010. So we'd say 2010, realistically, everything is flowing pretty normally the way that it was beforehand. I mean, yes. Yeah, other than Captain America's involvement in, in the... Yeah, in World War II. Is Captain Marvel set before this? Uh, Captain Marvel is in the 90s. So we have that. But And then we also have Hank Pym, uh, you know, back uh, doing his original Ant-Man stuff during mm -hmm. uh, during the uh, like the Cuban Missile Crisis. So there, there are hints of these things that have been happening all this time, but it's always treated as, you mm -hmm. know, confidential government stuff that yeah there's probably I'm, conspiracy theorists out there who think that things are happening but nothing has quite blown up to the extent that it will yeah later i guess you could argue by the end of this movie when tony mm -hmm. stark you know with his big reveal and and kind of the way that that shifts yeah. people's thinking yeah like i'm fine with like for example the idea that there is some futuristic shrinking technology that was used to solve problems during the Cuban missile crisis or something like that and that that technology is basically kept locked away you know i'm i'm okay with that but when you start to pile all these different technologies on each other like that exists the super soldier serum exists uh, you know the iron man technology, the repulsor technology and the arc reactor technology, you know, the Iron Man universe is essentially a universe where they've got clean, renewable energy. Yeah. There's a lot of future tech that's uh, got to be involved, that would be invented for all of these things. Well, yeah. And I mean, you know, Obadiah is great to provide a very dismissive line that allows us to write a lot of that off earlier in the film when he's mm -hmm. just when they're talking about the the arc reactor and he's just like, ah, oh, that's just something we built to shut the hippies up. Mm -hmm. It sounds like something that they have that they really haven't done anything to use because yeah. uh, it's not a weapon and they mm -hmm. haven't found a way to weaponize it yet. Yeah, I don't know. That's that's my sense of it. But it's it is a pretty interesting uh, way to kind of look at this and and i think some of it you could argue perhaps it's because by the end of this film you know tony is going to divulge you know i'm iron man basically saying hey superheroes exist and i'm one of them is kind of almost mm -hmm. one way you could look at that line but also it's a shift that he's having here with his company theoretically uh, where the company is going to stop making weapons and he's going to shift his focus. And so I guess you could maybe argue, hey, now he's shifting his focus to creating new technologies so that people who are paralyzed can walk and things like that. Although to that end, I feel like if he really is shifting his focus to that great of an extent that we would see throughout the universe that there are other people who have been paralyzed who now are also walking. Yeah, that's the 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 thing is you would there's a whole you would think like with hank pym's shrinking and growing technology you could solve world hunger in an instant right yeah you know just take a food stuff make it the size of a house congratulations we just fed a village 
Yeah, right, right. Well, that's something that uh, yeah. I, I think I saw uh, a post or a, a comic actually about this, about how these superheroes who are filthy rich, like Tony Stark and Bruce Wayne, who are investing all of their funds in creating all these super suits and things like that to go fight bad guys and stuff. But are they putting any of their money toward, you know, world hunger and to, uh, you know, investing in schools and things mm-hmm. like that? It's it's like, you know, are they, I mean, it doesn't feel like something that uh, it makes a lot of sense to explore heavily in these films, but it would yeah. be nice to know that there's a Tony Stark foundation that he does start that is funding a lot of this sort of stuff. And he's actually, obviously the story is not focusing on it, but hey, yes, he is also creating all these school programs and he's doing all these other things. I think we do get a little bit of that in... Well, we have the firefighter fundraiser earlier in the film, I guess. Well, we do also get a little bit of that even later in the MCU, I want to say it's uh, Civil War. It's Civil War, where um, we're introduced to Tony, basically. He is giving a talk at MIT, and he basically tells all the geniuses at MIT, your research is funded. Go out there and change the world, you know? Yep, true, true. So, I mean, they're doing some of that, yeah. but, you know, it it's the it's the issue when you're trying to apply fantastical sci-fi technologies to, you know, at some point, the world is getting farther and farther divergent from our world that they're talking yeah about. and and also it gets to a point where you know these guys also just need to tell a story it needs to yeah, fit in, yeah. in context of this yeah. two-hour time frame and we just need to focus on the 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 point that is going to get across in with yeah. this plot and this story yeah. with these themes you don't want to start dwelling on every single thing that these mm-hmm. people are doing because then it's just you're you're no longer making a movie. You're creating like a, a Ken Burns bio special on, yeah, on yeah. who who this is, Tony Stark is. Yeah. If you were doing a 10 season, you know, television series, you could have an episode that focuses on the ramifications of, you know, the the shrinking tech and the growing tech and things like that. But when you're just yeah. trying to make a two hour movie. Yeah, right, sure. right, right. Yeah, sure. And and I mean, yeah, yeah. We'll we'll save uh, more yeah. of that for when we get to Ant Man as far as the shrinking yeah, and growing course, tech. Yeah. But yeah, but in context of what's going on here, I think uh, you know we have this this closing of this scene with with Pepper who is getting away from from Obadiah who is suspicious of her. And uh, do you think that he's really wanting this newspaper, or do you think that he realized she hid something in it? I think he suspects if I think as we're talking about this over the past four minutes, I am starting to lean towards he got that notification that um, they tried to use his credentials in Tony's office. So he's now suspicious of her. So maybe he heard the sound of something happening when she was picking up the paper or something like that. Um, So. I mean, I, I like it. I like. I mean, your Financial Times does actually have a crossword puzzle. I wasn't sure in a mm-hmm. financial newspaper, but they do. Um, he asks for it for the puzzle, um, and so I mean, it makes sense. But again, it could be nice subtext to just kind of have that last, that mm-hmm. last moment with her, just to, just to check, just to check, you know, and see if there's if there's one last opportunity he has to catch her in the act, then he's going to take it. Yeah, because I mean, if. If he doesn't say that, it certainly doesn't diminish from her activity at all. The fact that she, you know, stealthily snuck the the thumb drive out of there in a newspaper. Yeah. You know, it just, you know, 
I, I think it's him trying to catch her, you know, doing something there. Right. I, I think I think he knows she did something suspicious with the newspaper. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I love the way that they lit his face when, it, you know, the look on his face as she's walking away and he says, is that today's paper? Uh, mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's about nine seconds into this minute. It's just like he's got this, this great light hitting his face, like at his eyes and lower that just, uh, just, I don't know. It just, it looks really nice. It just, it, it yeah. works well for kind of that, that sense. And looking at that shot, I think that shot supports the idea that he knows she's up to something. It's the, it's the sort of a villainous, I'm not even going to look at you while I say this sort <laughs> right. of a thing, you know? Right. If it was a sincere, I want to do the puzzle that's in that paper, I think he might, it, it would have, he would have turned to her to, to, uh, you know, ask about it. But yes, yes. Yeah. No, it works. It, it's, it's a great villainous look. And that's, mm-hmm. again, yeah. why it looks so nice the way he's lit and the way that he says it. Just like, yeah. Uh, just creepy. And then uh, she takes it and she's on her way. And this is uh, that that final little bit as she walks out, the, the camera tracks with her and she looks at her lock chip. But then we get Obadiah turning around as soon as she's uh, off to the elevator, slamming that paper down mm-hmm. and circling around to the computer to check and see what's going on. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we get that download complete uh, notification and that great reaction he has of, of oh. uh, you know, kind of throwing himself backward in the chair, running his mm-hmm. hands across his his bald head and getting up to go after her. It's uh, it just works so yeah. nicely here. So I do a couple of brief notes here because we're about to see other than the last shot from overhead, we're about to see our last Obadiah in this minute. Yeah. Um, so one, I do notice he has, I guess it's it's got to be a practiced move when you wear a suit every day. When he stands up, he buttons his suit jacket back up. Right. Like that's yep. got to be a practiced move. Like I feel like like when women who wear, you know, business skirts, the, you know, that like but almost reflexively, they sit down, cross their legs and then slide the skirt back more towards their knees uh-huh. to, you know, it's like I've been doing this for 20, 30 years. This is yeah. the move that you do when you sit down. Yeah. And I feel like that that is very true. I mean, that's mm-hmm. you know, you know, I feel like I always do that when I'm wearing a suit jacket. I'll always end yeah. up, you know, buttoning yeah. it back up. So it's like I stand up, I button, I sit down, I unbutton. Yeah. Right. It's so practiced the way he does it. It's so nice. Mm -hmm. And also for a guy who's been so patient, the way that he's been moving through this, it's he's been so slow and deliberate in every action and move that he's been doing, whether it's pouring the drink or walking over to her to give her the drink or everything. It's it's nice. The shift in his demeanor like once Mm -hmm. she's no longer watching him or you know he feels like it's ready for him to figure stuff out like he just moves to that desk real quick like he turns and he's just so focused now and and angry everything is is shifted from that kind of more protected veneer where he's not being as obvious and now now he's moving fast and deliberate yeah and and another appearance thing i just want to call out um as someone who has who did the shaved head with beard look for a year of my life, uh, he has chosen kind of the hardest way to do that, where the <laughs> beard trails off to a point where it almost goes behind the ear. You know, that right. takes daily upkeep. Either he is maintaining that daily or he's going to a barber daily. 
yeah, uh, somebody else mentioned that on a previous minute where, uh, yeah, it's, it almost is like, it's, it's almost designed to look like that fake beard where it's got like the little hook mm-hmm. over your ears to kind of hold it in place. It's yeah. a really, it is a complicated look. You have not made your life simple. <laughs> just have it, oh, just cut it off. Well. Just, yeah, just cut it <laughs> off right at the, pick a horse, pick a horizontal line and, and stop hair there. Yeah, right. But boy, it works well for Obadiah. Oh, it's yeah. a great yeah, look. It does. Yeah. We go from from that to uh, to Pepper fleeing, I guess you could say. She's in uh, trying to get away as quickly as she can. And, and uh, um, it's interesting because she took the elevator to get out of here. But, well, we assume she did. She was heading back to the direction of the elevator. We never actually see her get on. But now we see her on the stairs. And it makes me mm. wonder, why didn't she just take the elevator all the way down? But maybe it's one of those elevators that only goes to the second floor. Yeah, I was going to say I work. Um, I won't mention the name, but I work for a, a large company, um, and one of our main buildings is uh, about ten fifteen minutes away from my house. And one of and in the main corporate center, there's about two or three floors of escalators. And then from that second or third floor, you take the elevators up to the offices. So, you know, in this main lobby thing and in those those first two or three floors, there are a lot of things. There are shops, there are bank branches, there's it's almost like a little mini mall. And then up above the mall are the corporate offices. So it's yeah, right, right. So this central thing here, this could be a couple floors of stark stuff it could also be a couple floors of you know shops where which frequently will be frequented by a lot of stark employees i mean essentially you could have food court up there you know the second floor of this building could be the food court for is certainly a possibility uh, yeah that that would make sense i can see that uh, playing out yeah. like that where yeah uh, where it could have that a setup very similar to that it, that mm-hmm. allows for i mean i don't think that it's one of those buildings where there are multiple businesses in it it's mm-hmm. i mean I, it's pretty clear that this is this entire complex is yeah this is a stark campus yeah exactly yeah. right so to that end i don't think it's there are other businesses yeah. in here but i mean i wouldn't be surprised if mm-hmm. uh, you know in a different uh, universe, there would be like a Starbucks in here or something like that, you know, where they they have those things or the little restaurant where the employees can go grab a bite, things like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if there are little business near, they are things like that. It is almost a food court type of thing. There's a, might be a, a mini Starbucks, you know, like a, not a full yeah. service, you know, sit down and have coffee for four hours. But if you if what you really want is a venti white grande mocha, if that's the coffee that gets you through your day, you can go down to the second floor commissary and get it. <laughs> right, exactly. You know. So we go from this little, uh, you know, Pepper on the move and then Obadiah kind of, I guess you could say, in hot pursuit once he realizes what she had been up to. And now we're back in kind of, I, I guess it's kind of that ground floor lobby area. And uh, this is where we have Agent Colson returning. And this is where we have this, <laughs> this time <laughs> dilemma still. Um, and I, again, I think we've determined the only way that this makes any sense is that they did end up setting up their own meeting that does not happen to coincide with the meeting that, that Tony set up with, sure. with Colson sure. for the yeah. 24th at 7 p.m. Because mm-hmm. it just doesn't make any sense right yeah. now. And also... This is where we see a good number of other people wandering around the office, and it makes me feel like maybe it's not a Saturday because these these all look like business people 
not people who are just in to get a few things done on Saturday in their casual clothes. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, it might still be, it, it might still be just because this is still a really quiet lobby. It's quiet. We've got, we've got one guy who's walking around with his briefcase. We have a guy mm-hmm. in the distance who's just standing there, uh, kind of staring out the window. We've got, as the camera uh, pans over, or uh, kind of dollies over to reveal Coles, and we see a couple people walking around outside. And as the camera tilts up to see Obadiah, we we have a person walking past him. There's a woman who walks by. Yeah, it's a quiet lobby for 2 p.m. on a business day. Yeah, yes. Yeah. But again, it depends on uh, which part of the lobby this is. I mean, there's there are a lot of questions, like you said, like with these type of lobbies that might have lots of different staircases and escalators and things like that. Uh, you know, who, who knows what part of it we're looking at here. It is a little bit of a weird architecture that uh, like I, I feel like it's possible to get a little turned around in. You got the staircase that goes down and then a, a, a crosswalk, but then a different like a banister. The banister that Obadiah or the overhang that Obadiah is standing on is not. So is not connected to the staircase that Pepper just came down from. Right. It's it's like a little catwalk that yeah. goes across. Like it's almost like a mall. Obadiah's yeah. catwalk is not connected to the catwalk that Pepper came down from. Obadiah's catwalk is connected to a staircase that goes to the floor above him. Yeah. Right. But, but it's it's a weird kind of architecture. Yeah, it is kind of funky the way that it's all laid out here. But it doesn't look like well, at least from here, it looks like you've got the staircase going up from where he is. But I don't mm-hmm. feel like there's much above that either. Yeah. But I can't. But again, going back to those images that we were looking at uh, earlier in the week of the exterior of this property, it's not like a high rise anyway. You know, no. it's, you know, Stark Industries is probably six or seven, you know, yeah, s- yeah six, maybe seven flights high. And that's it. So, mm-hmm. so I guess to that end, it's fine. It works in context yeah. of what we're seeing here. Yeah. And again, that makes me also feel like they probably were filming it in this location rather mm-hmm. than. Uh, building a set. Oh yeah, I absolutely believe this was filmed at a location. Um, yeah, yeah, and and you know the fact that the the Starks, because uh, I assume this was being built. This didn't start getting built with Tony. That this would have been built at some point during Howard's tenure. That they're a little vain, so I could see them going with a geometry and a layout of a building that's a, maybe a little more form than function. You know, the fact that yeah. if you were going from the third floor down to the first. You have to take the stairs that are behind Obi, then get off that catwalk, then walk over to another catwalk to take the stairs that Pepper took down. Yeah, I, it, it's a little, it's a little bit of a clunky function, but I could see that the Starks might are are that kind of vein that they would would uh, go with something that's pretty more so than something that works great. Yeah, it's it, it's kind of odd the way that it all lays out, but it, that I agree with you. Mm-hmm. It, it does feel like they are the type of people, especially if you look at his house. I mean, that oh, also yeah. has that sense where it's just kind of this nebulous space of of these mm-hmm. you know curved rooms and everything kind of yeah. winding around each other. And it's it, it often like you said, the like amount of, of digging sense, he would but, be doing into the floor. There should be no foundation left. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I also really uh, like the as as we tilt up. I know this is the very very end of the minute, but as we tilt up to see Obadiah standing there on that catwalk, staring at Pepper, that fantastic um, glass right next to where he is, it, you get that that reflection of him, which I think just works really nicely with the kind of the duplicitousness of him that we have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, it's got a, a nice bar, uh, the, the split between the two panes kind of fractures his face. It's a nice, uh, nice bit of cinematography there. Yeah, really, really nicely set up, which also just as a side note, also, uh, there was another fantastic, uh, Jeff Bridges film, the Fisher King that he did with Robin Williams. And they did a nice effect of that with Robin Williams's face, where as his brain is kind of, um, all of a sudden he's having those flashbacks to the awful stuff that had happened in his life. The same thing happens as he's, as the camera pans across his face through beveled glass and his face starts splitting and everything. And it's, it's a really Mm -hmm. nicely done moment that uh i just thought of because of that so yeah and uh there's one i guess one last thing i noticed here that really rings true to me uh, as someone who works you know in big corporate buildings is that uh i just i noticed uh pepper's little uh id badge on her hip uh-huh. just, uh, just a nice touch that everyone's kind of wear those freaking things to get into this room and that room and so on except um, for obadiah uh, well, I mean, his could be uh, underneath his jacket, I suppose. I actually don't know if our our company's like highest high CEOs like have one of those on their hip or not. Well, he did honestly. have one, and actually, I'd have to go back to oh, probably around minute forty six or so when mm-hmm. after the press conference, he he goes to talk to Tony at the arc reactor and he does actually pull out his ID badge and swipe it so that he can access the arc reactor room. Yeah. And it's a night it's, uh, you know, I guess it, it is a little reflective of how all the characters sort of are, you know, Obadiah has his put away so that he can, you know, look good in his suit. Pepper has hers on her hip because that is the easiest place for it to be. Cause it's got one of those extender lanyards that you just, you just reach out, grab it off your hip and swipe it. And then yeah. Colson has his kind of awkwardly stuck onto his shirt. Yeah. Just kind of pinned jacket. on because yeah. he doesn't want to have to deal with it. But yeah. yeah. Okay. So I'm looking back. It's minute uh, uh, 47. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, uh, we don't see him. We don't see Obadiah with it. He reaches into his inside coat pocket to pull mm-hmm. his card out. So that's where yeah. he keeps it. There you go. Yep. People recognize him. He doesn't need to uh, have it on his hip. Like like uh everyone else yeah and like i said it's some of the the vanity or the you know the appearance you know it detracts from the look of her in her business suit yeah. that she's got a little badge thingy on her hip but that's the most practical place to put one so yeah, yeah. you know she she's very practical in that way and yeah. then we finally get, uh, as we've said, Colson. Uh, we get that meeting that's that's getting set up. There's something about the way that Clark Gregg just continues to play this character, and I love the way that it throughout the film it has seemed like it's this joke, right? This whole idea mm-hmm. of oh, I'd like to have a meeting. Okay, we'll get it set up. Oh, I'd like to have a meeting. Okay, we'll get it set up. It's like this been this con- this running joke throughout that's been getting set up over and over again, and I like that weirdly it worked out perfectly to all of a sudden uh pay off right here and i wasn't mm-hmm. expecting it at all and i know when i first saw this i was like that was just genius to kind of bring him back in here as part of this uh this payoff for this this moment here especially when i first saw this i i had no context of shield or who he was and so it just it was a payoff that i wasn't expecting but i ended up really enjoying it mm, yeah yeah um i don't think i have anything else for this what about you I just noticed while I'm scrubbing through this one last thing, um, going back to Obi in the 
in the office when he's rubbing his head and it, it's kind of further confounding the idea of the time of day. If you look out in the parking lot behind him, there are a ton of empty spaces for regular business hours. <laughs> this, yes, there are. So that's why that's leading me to believe that this might be a weekend. All right. Well, I think it's a it's a good it's a good thing to continue to go, with, even though it's <laughs> yeah, and, and it makes sense. I mean, it's a it's probably a big company. There probably are still plenty of people coming in. Yeah, and probably the people weekends. there working, but it, the, yeah. you wouldn't have that many empty spaces at two on a on a weekday. Yeah. But right, yeah, right. I, I guess I mean, we're doing our best to try to. <laughs> pe- <laughs> we're doing our best to take take things and fit them together where they, right. where no one was putting that much thought into it. So exactly. Well, Alex, we like to, uh, as we uh, close out our weeks with our guests, uh, talk to them a little bit about their Marvel backgrounds and and their favorites. So what uh, do you, did you, were you familiar with Iron Man when you came into this franchise? Were you a comic book reader? What's your backstory? I was a big, um, so my two biggest comic book uh, franchises were Batman and X-Men. Um Okay. And then to be into both I, worlds there. Yeah. And then I sort of got familiar with all the other characters through those. So like I know there was um I think there was an X-Men VHS for a uh a, a series that basically they never wound up picking it up, but they basically had the pilot and they released it on a VHS. And as almost like a B-side on the VHS, they had an episode of I want to say Spider-Man and his amazing friends. So Spider-Man and Iceman and oh, yeah, right. some woman, I'll say Firestar or something like that. That's the best show. Living in, yeah, living in uh, his house. And <laughs> that particular episode, I think the Beatle was stealing a power device from Tony Stark. So that, I think, was actually strange. My, my first wow. exposure at all to Iron Man um, was he was Tony Stark and he had some power device that the Beatle was stealing. I don't even remember if they mentioned the fact that he was Iron Man in that episode. How funny. But I was not well-versed in Iron Man until after this movie came out. Um uh, you know, the MCU uh, Marvel had already optioned off most of their biggest uh, cash cow, all the ones that I would have been f- had prior exposure to. Like Hulk and Spider-Man. Yeah. Hulk, Spider-Man, X-Men, X-Men right. et cetera, you know, before they started the MCU. So, it, it, you know, they were kind of working with a little, I hate to say that, you know, Iron Man and Captain America are the B team now, but they were kind of the B team already at that sure, point in yeah. time. So I didn't know. I knew. I mean, I knew Iron Man was Tony Stark. I knew he had, uh, you know, power armor. That's about all I knew. I, I think I was familiar with the Demon in a Bottle storyline a little bit. Okay. I think I knew the Mandarin. I knew a couple of villain names, but Obadiah Stane was a new name to me. Pepper Potts, Happy Hogan, um, Ivan Vanko. All of those names were foreign to me at the time. I was. I was very well versed in the couple franchises I knew and very casual about the ones I didn't. So it was it was a lot of uh, I know they take liberty with a little bit of the canon here and there in this first movie, but it, it didn't bother me that much because you know, I didn't know that part of the canon. So, yeah, it's interesting the know. way that uh, that 
they took this character that wasn't as largely known. I mean, obviously, Spider-Man was a huge success at the box office and mm-hmm. and, and, yeah, sure. and very popular. And X-Men was doing really well as well. And obviously, DC mm-hmm. had its own films. But Iron Man seemed like a, a, yeah. a choice that was a little strange. But, um, boy, they mm. proved any doubters uh, wrong because it sure, it sure exploded and took off quite nicely. Mm. So of the of the twenty, well, technically we're we are recording this um, the day after Captain Marvel opened, but I I know you haven't seen it yet. Uh, but of the twenty films before Captain Marvel, um, I don't want you to necessarily feel like you have to rank all twenty. But what would you say like are your tops? Like, do you have a top five of the mm-hmm. of the MCU? In no particular order, because I don't. I, I'd have to find my phone. I probably have the order on there somewhere. Um. I'd probably say Thor Ragnarok, the two Guardians movies, probably the first Iron Man, and maybe either Civil War, Winter Soldier. I can't decide between those two. With a a special soft place in my heart for Infinity War, just because that's how I would have played with my toys, is just take (laughs) all the toys and throw them at each other. But. I mean, I look at like Ragnarok and the Guardians movies and it that's everything that I would be looking for if I'm going to a movie with superheroes in it is, you know what, I'm just going to have a ton of fun for two hours. And, and you know, things like uh, Civil War and Winter Soldier are a different type of movie going experience. And that's also cool. But, you know, that's, you know, things like Ragnarok and stuff like that are, are you know, sit back and just have have fun for two hours. And Right. Yeah. It's yeah. a very fun takes on on the universe. Mm-hmm. And I think it makes yeah. it easy to yeah. just uh, just enjoy and not have yeah. to feel like it's, and it's it's a deeper thing or anything. It's just something to have fun with. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, Ragnarok finally made a meal out of the thing that that the first two Thor movies and the Avengers to a lesser extent had sort of just been snacking around the idea of getting comedy out of this big pompous buffoon that is Thor. You know, uh, Joss Whedon, Joss Whedon said on the Avengers comedy on the Avengers commentary that he just loves to knock Asgardians out of frame, you know? Um, and, uh, I mean the amount of most, most of the first Thor is big, uh, pompous buffoonish Asgardian Thor in regular world with, you know, sort of sitcom characters, you know, Darcy and Selvig and Jane right. are just, you know, regular folk. Yeah, right. And it, obviously yeah. they're, they're, they've designed that yeah. film to really play around with that, which is, mm-hmm. it's fun. Yeah. I mean, I, I like what they actually did with that. It was a, it was a fun way to yeah. take a, a character who is so arrogant and pompous and, and just mm-hmm. do yeah. some fun stuff with it. Yeah. And I, but I do, I do have to probably throw the first Iron Man in there because in the sort of the top, because that is, it, it starts the world building and it is it it is a statement of intent, I think, for the entire MCU that we're taking them seriously, but we're not taking them as I want to say as seriously as like Christopher Nolan. But um, we're not treating them gravely, but we're treating these as seriously as other people treat action movies, you know. As seriously as they were treating Die Hard when they were making it. You know, that's how seriously we're treating this. Yeah. I mean, you have to treat the characters with respect and you have to treat them like they're real characters. Yes, yes. With respect. I think that's a that's a good way of putting it. Because I feel like when they're doing, I'm, I'm sure they, you know, were trying when they made these movies. But when you look at like Daredevil, you go like, eh, we're, <laughs> they, 
there are times where you feel like they weren't how much did they care here right like well but uh, yeah because it's like what were what were they what was the sense that a comic book movie needed to be like i feel like they they figured it out with with spider-man and and the x-men films and and Mm -hmm. the batman films well the later batman films i i would argue that starting with the batman or with the dark knight uh well even batman begins they they were figuring that out Mm -hmm. but if you go back to the tim burton and uh and subsequent batman the burton films, schumacher yeah, it, yeah they were really they i mean well more schumacher but certainly a lot more camp going back to almost the old oh, TV burton's show. plenty camp people don't realize it because the camp is also burton you well know, gothica true. but it's still plenty campy he had armies of mind-controlled penguins <laughs> roaming around That's let's true. that is very yeah. true very true yeah. yeah, no, it's but I, but I do think that they they uh, these films ended up just they they found a way to ground it while allowing for kind of the respect for these characters and uh, just a sense to kind of I don't know just allow for still a level yeah. of enjoyability that um, you know I feel like the the DC films they they went on the the Batman dark train and and kind of just mm-hmm. went way too dark for a good chunk of time that I don't think necessarily was helpful. Yeah, I mean, well, with Batman, I think to some extent there is a bit of trying to either recoil against the overly camp of the, you know, Batman 66 and then Burton and Schumacher and then, you know, trying to strike that balance. Um, The fact that then they made Superman dark is inexcusable to me. But I think Batman, you're always you're you're. Because Batman is kind of dark. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, you've got to you've got to find the way to have some darkness without without it becoming too grim, which is, you know, which is the always the balancing act with a Batman story. Well, um, and I think that's yeah. that's something that uh, they I don't know. I feel like the DC universe was was trying to figure out how to do that. Like all oh, the, the Batman films worked so great because it was this dark world and gritty and let's kind of keep it going that route. Without remembering that, you know, I mean, we have, if you take characters in our own world right now, you have darker stories, you have lighter stories, you have funnier stories, you have mm-hmm. more serious stories. Yeah. They're all blending together. And and I, I feel like the the DC films kind of went off on, you know, let's make them all dark now when they didn't need to. They could have done some dark, but allowed for that more positive sort of storytelling that you should have had yeah. in the Superman film. Yeah, I think that's the that's the thing that gives me um, hope for the sort of soft reboot that they're doing now with the DC cinematic with Wonder Woman and with Aquaman that they're remembering first and foremost, I want to go to the movie and have fun watching it. Yeah, right. Yeah. You know? Even yeah. Shazam. I mean, that looks like yeah. crazy fun. Yeah, that looks that looks that looks like it's in a similar vein to Ragnarok and Guardians. And yep. I think that's where the Marvel's universe started from is let's have fun, get invested in the characters, and then we can tell serious stories involving the characters. Right. That people now care about. Yeah, exactly. And that's why yeah. I think Infinity War works so yeah. well because people yeah. were very invested in these characters and it gave us a place yeah. to come into that film. And, uh, yeah. and you know, have our hearts broken because we were so in love with these characters yeah. by that point. Yeah. By the time that Spoiler Alert dies, I'm invested in Spoiler Alert and I like Spoiler Alert. Yeah. You know. Spoiler Alert anyway. City. Yes. Yeah. Rest in peace, Spoiler Alert. All right. Well, let's uh, let's wrap it up and put, yeah, let's a, wrap that uh, one up. put a cap on this week. Um, do you want to remind everybody where they can find you one last time? 
Yeah, uh, check me out on your podcatcher of choice on Independence Day Minute, Galaxy Quest Minute, Cleveland and Six going deep into Major League, uh, guesting on most other Movies by Minutes podcasts, and the previous four episodes of this podcast. Um, <laughs> those two. Hopefully you've yeah. heard those by the time you got to this one, but yes. if not, yep. check You them didn't out. jump in on Minute 95. <laughs> that's, that's a strange way to handle it. Right. All right. Well, uh, thanks again so much, Alex. I appreciate you joining me all Yeah, day. sure. It's been great. Mm-hmm. Uh, and no everybody, problem. that is it for today's show. Thanks so much for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe to the show for free at marvelmovieminute.com. Join us over in our Discord chat room and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Next Reel. And if you like what we do and you want to support us and get some cool stuff, become a patron over at thenextreel.com slash Patreon. Until next time, true believers. True believers.